Okay, Matthew 7. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under, under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell. And the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, and not as their scribes. Well, good morning. We have the word open up before us. We're looking at Matthew 7. We'll be looking at 24 through 29. We'll be completing the chapter. And the conclusion of what is at least recorded for us in this sermon on the mount. It's been a joy to go through this. To hear the words of Jesus. To once again be refreshed and reminded of what. Jesus would 
have us do? To once again be reminded of the king's prescribed way and how he would desire for us to walk as children of the king. Jesus begins today, if you notice there in verse 24, therefore, kind of a summary, kind of things that have come before, therefore, these last four verses, going to summarize, going to conclude, praise the Lord, he's not done talking, if you continue reading Matthew's gospel, you see he's still speaking. Just because the sermon ended, his, his life teaching kept on going. Praise the Lord. But when we come to the therefore, I'd like to just draw your attention to what has come prior to. It's important that we see what comes after. But is there anything contextually, especially in 21, 22, and 23... That would lend itself to Jesus' words that follow. Let's take a moment and read 21, 22, and 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. A few weeks ago we spoke of Jesus' criteria there in verse 21. Jesus' criteria is put forth for the one who is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He who does the will of my Father. And then we saw in verse 22, man's criteria. What man puts forth as his evidence, if you will, for entering the kingdom. Didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do this in your name? How about this, Jesus? And in verse 23, Jesus responds to man's criteria. We talked about relationship. I never knew you. Never at any time did I know you. We talked about where there is no relationship, there are repercussions. Depart from me. And we talked also about that reality. God is a just judge. His judgments are true. You who practice lawlessness... You who have been about a life of lawlessness. Those are stinging words. Words I I hope and pray would penetrate and, and wake us up to the urgency of right now. And how we're to live for the Lord right now. And then the next word there in verse 24 is therefore. Therefore, in light of the judgment to come, he's talking about this. In light of judgment pertaining to the kingdom of heaven, in light of the fact that some are entering the kingdom and some are not entering the kingdom, in light of the fact, let's get 
personal. That you are either entering the kingdom or you are being cast away. Let's also remember that the judgment spoken of here in the text is from the one who has been given all authority to judge. Let's not forget that. In fact, if you turn to John 5 for just a moment. In John chapter 5, starting in verse 25, Jesus says this. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming. And now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Listen to this. And has given him authority to execute judgment also. Because, there's a reason, he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Listen to what follows. And come forth, those who have done good... As that connects to our text today, we're going to see those who hear and do. Those who hear and obey. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Jesus says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous. Because... I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. You know, we might also remember in, in Acts chapter 17 when Paul is in Athens. And you remember he's, he's preaching to the group at the, on Mars Hill, Neriopagus, these, uh, these very learned folks. And they were, they were listening to all these wonderful, brilliant ideas. And in the midst of what Paul is preaching... And teaching in Acts chapter 17, he says this in verse 29. Since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. Something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere. All men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. That's going to be the standard. He's going to judge the world in righteousness by whom? By the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Church, we're talking about Jesus. He's the one who is going to be the judge. His judgments are just and righteous. Back to Matthew 7. Therefore... What's left to say? What's left to say that Jesus hasn't already said? How is he going to conclude his message to those gathered on the mountain? And as a listener today, I know there's a lot of listeners who didn't make it in to sit in one of these chairs today. You happen to make it in, praise the Lord, you're here, you're sitting in a chair, hopefully you're awake, and the word of God is going to speak to you this morning. That's my hope and prayer, that as his word goes forth, as you read that you're asking of the Holy Spirit to teach you this morning what he would have you to know from his word. 
My question this morning is, are you going to take heed to what you hear in his word? If we outline the text just a bit, and we're able to, to see three things here in the text, I believe. In 24 and 25, we'll see the portrait of a wise man. Jesus is going to, to paint a picture, give us a portrait of a wise man. Hearing and obedience, or hearing and doing. Okay, verses 24 and 25. Then he's going to paint a picture in 26 and 27 and give us a portrait of a foolish man. Hearing and disobedience. And then we're going to conclude with 28 and 29. Portrait in the making. And asking the question of you, the listener... What's your response to what he said? We'll talk a little bit more when we get there. First, let's look at the 24 and 25. A portrait of a wise man. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Jesus here is painting a picture showing the portrait of a wise man in the text. Look at the description. Whoever... Whoever. Is that not that word in and of itself? One of the greatest invitations. Whoever. There's probably, I hope, a scripture that comes to mind. How about John 3.16? Remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever. I love that word. In that verse, it's one of the greatest invitations. But as we see here in the text... John 3.16, in fact, is, is not the only place where we would come across that. We see a couple, in fact, in Romans chapter 10, verse 11, verse 13. Verse 11 says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. A few verses later in verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Then it says, hears. The wise man must have ears to hear. You see, church, saving faith comes through hearing the word. Romans 10 verse 17 tells us that. The invitation is open, but is immediately qualified. Whoever, whoever what? Whoever hears. Now, right here, the text begs the question, whoever hears what? Jesus says, whoever hears these sayings of mine. Turn back just just for a moment. Turn back to Matthew chapter 5 and just let your eyes skim down through Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead. Come on. Out of here, pages turn. If you've got your Bible, let's be active in this. Let's let our eyes land on the pages of Scripture here. And if you just skim through a little bit, let your eyes kind of do some work through Matthew 5. And then on in, you see chapter 6. Go ahead and do a quick uh, scan through chapter 6. See what Jesus is speaking of here in Matthew chapter 6. And then you arrive at chapter 7 and you do a quick scan and glance up to where we are yet today. These sayings of mine encompass his teachings. Sayings, the word in the text, is logos, which comes from the word logos, word. So these sayings, these words of mine, Jesus is getting it. Okay? The words of Jesus. So whoever hears these words of mine. Let me ask a question. Is there any significance to hearing the words of Jesus? 
I believe there, there are some high level significance of hearing the words of Jesus. Do the words of Jesus, this is an important question to consider. Do the words of Jesus get your attention? Do they get your attention above any other men? Are you hearing the words of Jesus? Are his words landing and penetrating your mind and your heart? His words. Let me ask another question. Do his words impact your living? You see, what, what Jesus says, does that move you to action because it's Jesus speaking? The Son of God, as Timothy writes, the mediator between God and man. That's who's speaking. Hearing what Jesus says is not enough according to the text. Do you see that? Hearing what Jesus says is, is not enough. There, there's, there are going to be, in fact, we read this in 21, 22, and 23. There are going to be some in that day who have heard his words. And there are going to be some who are in for a great surprise. Hearing alone is not what Jesus is advocating. You're sitting in the chair. You hear the word being preached. But when the last song is sung today, and we transition into lunchtime, where are his words? Hearing the words of Jesus must have a, a, a connect point. There must be some kind of connect. They must have a, a laboratory, an environment in, in which to exercise. These words of Jesus need to be exercised, not simply heard through the ears. You know, I was thinking as a parent, if as a parent you desire your children to hear the words of Jesus, and by the way, I hope each one of you parents have a desire that your children hear the words of Jesus. But if your sole objective is to get your children to hear the words of Jesus, hear the words of Jesus, hear the words of Jesus, you're so intent on getting the words of Jesus in them. Praise the Lord, that's your desire. You're going to great lengths to see that they get the words of Jesus in them. But I wonder if they're observing something. I wonder if over time they're starting to see some missing pieces. They're hearing the words of Jesus, but are seeing before them examples Lives, perhaps in their own household, lives that don't connect with these words. Dads and moms, we can have, we can have the best curriculum, 
We can find all kinds of creative ways for our children to learn. But at the end of their time in the home, are they simply going through the motions of hearing the words of Jesus? Hearing the words of Jesus. Are you looking for the, the, the fantastic, the, the entertaining, the superior learning method? Are you, are you chasing the best way for your children to hear? Please understand me. I'm not saying it's bad or it's wrong to find good ways to teach your children. Methods that are going to be helpful to teach your children. That's wonderful. The point is this. As we look at Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Jesus is not content with you simply hearing his words. Hearing without a connect point, hearing without a hook of some kind is an exercise, the Bible says in James 1.22, an exercise in deception. That's why James says, be doers and not hearers only. You remember the last two words? Deceiving yourselves. If all we do is hear, we are practicing and exercising deception. There's more to... Hearing, hearing is good, but Jesus is advocating that we be hearers and doers. That we connect our hearing with doing, hearing with obedience. He paints a picture of the wise man. A wise man takes what he hears from Jesus' words and latches on to doing. So as you sit there in that chair this morning, here's a question. Are you going to be content simply hearing the words of Jesus today and next Sunday and the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that? Is this nothing more than an exercise of occupying a chair and hearing the words and yet you're not connecting it to your living? Jesus is advocating and saying very clearly, I believe right here, that there must be more than simply hearing. Taking what you hear of my words, Jesus says, and connect them, hook them onto obedience to what I've said. That's the picture of the wise man. The wise man hooks his hearing to his doing, his obedience. You know, and I was thinking about the, the, the hook and and the fishing. I'm not much for fishing. Um, I, I don't have a lot of patience for fishing, truth be told. I don't like to sit around, wait for a fish to jump on the hook. But you have this hook, and you put it, right, you get it on the line, and, and, and it goes in the water, and there's this hook in the water. What is the hook intended to do? It's intended to catch a fish. Now, there are also kind of clever little Schemes you can hook up next to the hook to get them the bait, right? And get them to come over there. But bottom line, the hook is to catch one of those fish. You know, I was coming in here and I was even looking around the room at, the, at these hooks. And um, I brought, brought one in that's not attached. Don't worry, I didn't take one off the wall for the, for the visual. But um, I got to thinking about the, the hook and... And even the difference of this one just freestanding up here versus the ones that are anchored into the wall. What's the purpose of the hook? Well, these hooks are intended to 
hang coats on. I mean, they, they look nice. They can be a, dec- a decoration, I suppose. But really their intention is that something would hang on them. Church, I want you to see something in the text. Jesus is putting forth, listening is not in and of itself. Hearing my words, Jesus says, let's not stop there. I have intended, Jesus says, I have intended for you not only to hear my words, but to hook obedience onto your hearing. Oh, this is very important, church. The wise man hooks his hearing of Jesus' words with doing. Look at the text. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, does them, I will liken him to a wise man. What does it look like to hear his words and to do them? Think about that. Ask yourself that question. What does it look like to hear his words and do them? How does that happen in your life? What does it mean to hear Jesus' teaching and put it into practice in your life? How are you hooking your hearing? How are you hooking your hearing to obedience? The words of Jesus. You know, just from a practical standpoint, I was thinking about this this past week. Had the opportunity uh, to go to the state house on Friday. A couple of, uh, couple of folks in here got to go, and we had a, we had a great time. And, and one of the things in going to the state house, they, you know, the, the scripture I know that the children were learning was 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1, 2, and 3, which you know, called for the believer to, um, to pray for kings and all who were in authority. And, and so as we, as we toured the state house, one of the things we did was we stopped outside the, uh, the house senate chambers, and we circled up and we prayed. And then we moved on, and we went right by the governor's office. And we circled up and we prayed. And then we, got in, we actually got to go into the Supreme Court. And we circled up right there in the Supreme Court and we prayed. You know what? I, that was powerful f- for me personally. To be able to know what, to be able to hook what I know to be true from God's word... 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1, 2, and 3. Pray for kings and all those in authority. To be able to actually go and be in the place. You know what it did? It helped connect the teaching in the scripture with, with the reality that there are real people that work down here in this building. There are real people who are governing in the state of Indiana. There are real people who need to be prayed over, need to be prayed for wisdom as they rule, as they govern in the state of Indiana. It was a great opportunity to connect what I've heard in the scripture for quite a while. Brought to life the principle and the truth of what God's word says. And I know some of you have gone on, on some short-term missions trips and you get an opportunity to do the same thing. You go into a country that is unlike where you live and you have an opportunity to not just hear these words but to practice them, to put them into play in your life. 
And a short-term missions trip can be a wonderful opportunity. And, and it provides a context, perhaps, to be able to not only hear, but obey and carry it out. I'm not saying you have to go overseas to make that a reality. I'm saying it is a practical way to be able to connect the truth of God's word. To be able to do it. Oh, let's, let's understand this can happen right in our homes, right in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in the places where we live. That we can be about practicing and exercising the very truths of God's word. In church, he's called us to do this very thing. How are you hearing the words of Jesus and doing them? As a believer in Jesus, is there ongoing obedience, ongoing doing to what you hear from his word? I believe it was Augustine. I was reading about Augustine. And one of the things about Augustine is said that when he would read the word, one of the things that he would do, and this ties into what we're talking about Matthew 7. He would read the word on a day and go out and practice what he just read. For example, it just said in the text that he read about Washing, Jesus washing the feet of his disciples and, he, and, and that day he went out and he practiced that. Serving other people. Practical way that when we read God's word, are we putting it into action? Are we doing it? Are we obeying it? For the one who hears these words of Jesus and does them, Jesus likens this man to a wise person. A wise man. The word and in the text right there is key. Connecting the hearing and doing. This one is deemed wise according to Jesus. So what does Jesus want you to know about this wise man? Look at the text. He says, I would liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus likens the, the man, this wise man. He's wise because what? Because of what he built that's a past tense, by the way. Because of what he built his life on, the rock. Many of you in here understand. Much greater level than, than I. Many of you in here understand what it takes to build rightly. Considering a new home, you know how important it is that the foundation be solid. Wrong foundation... House is wrong. Not going to be right. The foundation must be laid correctly. But listen carefully to what Jesus says here. He says, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The one who makes a regular habit of hearing the words of Jesus and exercising them, doing them. Jesus likens this one to a man who built his house on the rock. Jesus is pointing to the fundamental reason behind one who patterns his present life by hearing and doing. It goes back to how he built. A couple things need to be mentioned right here. I believe there's a principle of sowing and reaping present in the text. What you sow, Paul, Paul says this in Galatians, right? Chapter 6. What you sow, if it's to the flesh, you're going to reap what? Destruction. But if you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap what? Everlasting life. 
I want you to see, though, that there's hope in this text. Church, there's hope here. There is encouragement here. Some of you are hearing this, and perhaps you realize that you've not truly built your life upon the rock. Perhaps you're, you're thinking to yourself, I've not done the training and, and, and things necessary even that my own children's lives would be built upon the rock. If you have the breath of life in you this morning, you can, by God's grace, change how you've been building. Praise the Lord for that, by the way. You can change, by God's grace, that can change. The text, according to what Jesus says, Jesus says you're deemed wise when you practice the hook of hearing his words and doing them. Hearing and doing them. An exercising of hearing and doing flows out of a house that is rightly built. But hear on this. The word of God, church, the word of God is profitable. Second Timothy chapter 3 says it's profitable for four things. I just want to focus on the one for just a moment. It's profitable for rebuke. This word is profitable for rebuke. By nature, we don't like to be rebuked. We don't care for it when someone rebukes. Please, though, don't be like the man in Proverbs 29, verse 1, who is often rebuked and hardens his neck. The text there says he will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. No, where there is rebuke, where this word rebukes you, perhaps on the other side of that there is repentance of your sins. And never forget that God is faithful and just. See, he's not only forgiven you if you are in Christ here today, but he promises in that same passage in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he promises to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you have not built your house upon the rock to this point, today would be a good day to begin. Today would be a great day to begin. One other thing here to consider. The children that you desire to hear and obey his word. Is it possible that they too have not built their house, their life upon the rock. You see, we got to remember, hearing and doing flows out of a house built on the rock. If you're, if you're frustrated with the lack of fruit in your life or, or in the life of your children, perhaps the word here is instructive. Perhaps they've been building on a faulty foundation. Keep reading in the text. Read Matthew 7, 25. Look at this. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Verse 25 shows the elements of nature that come against the house of the wise man. Notice that the same elements in verse 25 applied to the wise man are the same elements found in verse 27 when applied to the foolish man. Same elements coming upon the house. What's the difference? We've got rain, we've got floods, we've got wind, we've got snow today, don't we? They all beat against that house. 
the one built on the rock. But I want you to notice the difference. Notice that here in the text, this house did not fall. And Jesus even reiterates why it did not fall. For it was founded. Literally, it had been founded. That's literally what it means. It had been founded. It had been founded on the rock. That's why it didn't fall. Here again is that past tense element. And I believe it's critical here uh, to, to, to get the principle that's contained here. What has been established will show itself when the storms of life come your way. What has been established will show itself when the storms of life come your way. I'm reminded, and, and turn in your Bible because it's worth a, a look and see on this one. Turn to the book of Daniel. I, I, I so, so much enjoy this particular verse. And it ties in directly to the principle that we're talking about here. In Daniel chapter 6. Remember the decree had been passed, right? Decree has been passed. Now we go to verse 10. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he knew it had been signed, put into place. He went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day. And prayed and gave thanks before his God. Here it is, right here. As was his custom since early days. As was his custom since early days. You see, Daniel's life was built upon praying to his God. And so it didn't matter what element was going to beat down upon him. It didn't matter if there was a decree that had just been put into place that said, if you pray to any other God besides the king, you're going to be thrown into a lion's den. You know what? The text would lead us to believe that a man and a woman who has his life built upon the rock doesn't matter. You are going to operate as was the custom. Since the early days. Do you have anything right now that you're building upon? And hear me on this. If you do not, let's make today the day you begin building. Daniel is a great example of one who had a custom. This was what he did. He had established his foundation long ago, before the trial came, before the elements beat upon his house. You see, some of you here today are right now in the midst of feeling the effects of the wind. The floodwaters, some of you, if you were to gauge where those floodwaters are, they're, you, you barely got your head above water. The rain's pouring. Yet let me encourage you from the word, nothing, nothing, nothing will ever be able to affect the man who builds his life on the rock. Hearing the words of Jesus and doing them, practicing obedience to his words, this kind of life, it doesn't pop up overnight. We saw Daniel. It had been his custom since the early days. It's not like turning on some light switch. I just hit it on when I want to. 
not how it works. You see, hearing and doing is a result of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you. It, it flows out of abiding in the vine of Christ, John 15. It shows up in the life of one who has been born again. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you have, listen, you have no desire to hear his words or obey his teaching. But one who's died to sin and is walking in newness of life is being led by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's his role. Read John 13, 14, 15, 16. It tells you a little bit about his role, his ministry in the life of a believer. You see, Jesus, in painting the portrait of the wise man, is holding forth two kinds of people. One is deemed wise, verses 24 and 25 describe that. And the other is described right here in 26 and 27. Let's move on. This is a portrait, portrait of a foolish man. The one who hears and disobeys. Look at verse 26. But something contrasting is coming. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine. Now, so far, this is the same as verse 24. Do you see that? Verse 24, they also heard. Verse 26, everyone who hears. So what's different? Keep reading. And does not do them. Will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount with two kinds of people. And these two kinds of people, they're characterized and depicted by two portraits. One is likened wise because he connects his hearing and doing, his obedience. The man deemed foolish... Why is this man deemed foolish and not wise? Why? I believe the text would point to the very thing that stands out from a contrast standpoint. It's not in the hearing. They both heard. So what is it? What's the difference? What's the difference in a wise man and a foolish man? It's this. Listen. Obedience to his teaching. Obedience to his teaching. That's the difference put forth here. As you read the Old Testament, did God's people ever have any issues with obedience? If we had the time, we'd just, we could go through all kinds of examples in the scriptures of where God's people were not obedient. They were disobedient. We'll go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. I'm reminded of, of Exodus chapter 32. Moses is up talking to God and... and What's going on down with Aaron and company? What are they doing? Building a golden calf. Or, or, or perhaps even Numbers, chapter 14. You know, all the grumbling that's going on in the midst of that time period when they're wandering around. I'd point you to one in particular that I'll read. It's in Judges. Judges, chapter 2. Beginning in verse 11. The children of Israel did evil on the side of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They bowed down to them. That's, that's quite a contrast, isn't it, to what we read just a moment ago with Daniel? 
They forsook the Lord, served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges. Who raised up those judges? The Lord raised up those judges. And scripture says they did not listen to the judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22, that was a verse that was read this past Friday while we were down at the uh, state house. I bring it up for this reason. It says, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. If he is who the word says he is, why the difficulty? Why the difficulty with obedience? Is hearing the issue? I don't, I don't think so. In fact, we can turn in the same gospel of Matthew in chapter 13 and we see in verses 18 through 23 the explanation of the parable of the sower. The one by the wayside, the seed that gets sown by the wayside, is one who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand. And in not understanding, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown. And then there's seed sown on the stony places. And that one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. And he stumbles when persecution or trial arises because of what? Because of the word. And then there's seed sown among the thorns. And that is one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choke the word making him unfruitful. And then praise the Lord, Jesus gives us an example of seed that's sown on good ground. And on that good ground is one who hears the word, and when he hears the word, he understands, he bears fruit, he produces, he does, he obeys. You see, all four of those folks heard the word. But only one produced lasting fruit. Only one heard and obeyed. Church, we need to understand something that the God of the Bible is one who speaks. His desire is not simply that you and me hear what he has to say and then to acknowledge, you know what, God, that, that was good, God. I hadn't thought of that one. I'll share that one with my children. No, he speaks that you might hear and obey. Listen, you will only obey one master. Matthew chapter 6 tells us that. You cannot serve two masters. You're only going to, you're only going to obey one of them. You will obey the one to whom you are a slave. Romans chapter 6, 16 through 18 says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey... You are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, 
Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin. Some of you this morning have been set free from sin. Listen. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. He talks about presenting your members as instruments of righteousness. Doing. Obeying. Connecting your hearing with doing and obeying. Every one of you, Jesus says, who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. The one who disobeys. This man is likened to a foolish man. You know the word foolish? Moron. You've heard the word. It's a derogatory word. That's the word in the original language. That's where we got our word moron. We don't like to be called that. So just from a practical standpoint, can I just say, if you don't like to be called that, let's operate according to the truth of God's word. Let's hear and obey. Let's hear and do. Because the opposite of hearing and doing is hearing and not doing. Hearing and disobeying. Hearing and being a foolish man. Being labeled a moron, a fool. That's what the word says. foolish man who built his house on what sand this foolish man built he built something back here on sand why why would you desire to build on sand When, when you're given a picture of a house built on the rock why would you settle for sand The man who builds his house on sand, the fool, is characterized as being disobedient. You remember the hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Come on, what is it? Sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground. You, whatever you want to name. All of it. I believe the hymn writer had this right on point. If you're attempting, church, to build your life upon anything other than the solid rock of Jesus, know that all other ground is sinking sand. Anything other than the rock, digging deep. Luke's gospel talks about digging deep. Establishing that foundation. Anything other than that is sinking sand. What's the big deal of building on sinking sand? Well, the text answers the question. It uses the same list of elements that are found in verse 25. The rain descended, floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but there's something different. The result is different here. And it fell. And great was its fall. Notice the wise man who built his house on the rock. When the elements came on that house, the text says it did not fall. Here in verse 27, same elements come against that house built on the sand. The text says, and it fell. But Jesus goes on to say this. I want you to look at this. This is instructive, I believe, in the text. Literally, this concludes in verse 27 by saying, and was the fall of it great. The emphasis is upon the verb here, fall. And it fell, and the fall of it was great. It's a great fall. Sometimes we say, oh, that was a great, you did a great job. It's not used in that context. This is not great in the sense that something good has happened, but it's great in the sense of something tragic, ramifications for operating in disobedience. Church, the God who made the heavens and the earth 
is speaking right here. Jesus was around. Did you know he was around before the foundations of the world? He was around and he's, he's setting forth right here in the text. He's setting forth two kinds of people. He's showing you by his loving kindness, he's showing you. He's showing you his mercy and his grace. He's setting forth before you his justice and his righteous judgment. He's showing you. He is loving and he's so kind for us to see this. Take heed to hear what he has to say this morning. How is such a fall considered great? You see, we need to understand, while Jesus is painting a picture and giving us an illustration, he is not simply speaking about a physical house, a physical building, but he's pointing to, and he has been pointing to in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, kingdom, the kingdom implications. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Is there a greater fall than not entering the kingdom of heaven? The fall of it was great. You bet it's great. It's going to be great. Far from simply being the conclusion of his sermon on the mountain. Jesus is drawing the lines very clearly. Two kinds of people. One is wise and the other foolish. One hears and obeys his teaching. The other hears but disobeys his teaching. The one who hears and obeys will withstand the elements in this life. He will endure. He will enter the kingdom of heaven. The one who hears and disobeys, he makes disobedience a pattern in his life. He will fall and great will be his fall. May these words not only awaken each one of us, but may these words of Jesus serve as a catalyst to go, to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Let's be about doing all that he's commanded so that we might be able to teach others to do all that he's commanded. And remember that as we are about that work, he is with us always, even to the very end of the age. And this speaks to the end of the text. Look at 28 and 29. It's portrait in the making. How are you going to respond to Jesus' words? Look, look what it says. And so, and so it was. When Jesus had ended these sayings, by the way, this is not red letter now. It's still, still inspired word of God, don't get me wrong. But it's just not red letter right here. Okay, I want to just make... The narrator, Matthew, as he's moved and carried by the Holy Spirit, is now coming back into play. And so it was when Jesus had ended these things that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. I want you to think back. All that he's spoken of in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And perhaps Jesus spoke other things that are not recorded in these three chapters. The point is this. Jesus desires that you enter the kingdom of heaven. That's his, that's his great desire. His call. That you would enter. And his teaching is targeting what throughout this? He's targeting the heart. His words are meant to be obeyed, not simply to be acknowledged. His teaching is intended to transform you. This word, this word from what we know, it has the power to save. And he's given to you his word. What are you going to do with his word, church? What are you going to do with his word? He's provided for you a roadmap for living this life. How now are you going to live? I mean, think about how foolish it would be if you were going into a particular area, country, and, and you, you had no idea where you were going, and you, so you stop in the, the visitor's center, and you go in and you get a map. 
You get a map. Why do you get a map? You get a map so you know where you're going. It shows you where the roads are. It shows you where you need to go. God's word is the same thing. He has given to us a road map. This is where we need to be going. This is what we need to be doing. No wonder we go astray in this life. When we're not connecting our hearing with our doing. When we're not concerned at all about what Jesus says. About Jesus' words. What, what would he want us to be about? And we see in his own life he modeled this. Because he was about doing the will of his father in heaven. Notice in the text that the people when Jesus had ended. They were astonished. At his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority. They were accustomed to hearing the scribes way of teaching. Jesus spoke as his own authority. And the people noticed. But I, but I wonder coming to the end of this text. I wonder something. Is astonishment and amazement the intended result? Is that the objective here? I'm startled not by what I see in verses 28 and 29, but what I don't see in 28 and 29. It doesn't surprise me that the people were astonished at his teaching. Hey, church, this is the bread of heaven having come down. He is feeding them the very words of God. This message is going to be different. What stirs me up on the inside is what I find to be absent as Matthew narrates the conclusion here in chapter 7 as he is carried along by the Holy Spirit. No mention of changed lives. No mention of people falling on their knees before the Lord. No mention of repentance, of sin. No mention of desiring from that point forward to build their lives upon the solid rock. No mention of change, just astonishment at his teaching. Church, let's remember today to hook today's hearing and next week and the week after and the week after and the week after, for that matter. But let's hook today's hearing to today's obedience. <laughs> as, you, as you begin building on the rock of Jesus, as you make Him your supreme love and object of affection, the elements will continue to beat against your house. But remember this. They can only hit you for a limited time only. You know that phrase, a limited time only? That means there's a window of time. The big sale, limited time. It means you've got to get there before the date ends. The elements that beat against your house are only going to be able to hit against your house for a limited time. You see, this life is short. The Bible tells us that. And where he is, Jesus, where he is, there is, the Bible says there, there is no sickness. There are no tears, no mourning. Isn't that good news? It's limited time. Jesus has finished his teaching in Matthew 7, church. What now are you going to do? 
He's painted a picture. Very clear picture, I believe, of two people. Two kinds of people. There are more than two kinds of people. There's no third kind of person. There are two kinds of people. Wise and foolish. Church, I pray and I hope that you desire to be the wise man. The wise man who built his house upon the rock. That when things come and when things happen in your life, it may not feel good, it may hurt, it may, it may be all these things, but at the end of that time, you are going to stand because you've built your life on the only one, the only one who can make it possible for you to stand when these elements come against you. There is but one. His name is Jesus. And he is the solid rock upon which we can stand. Do you believe that? Or do you just hear it? I pray today we would, we would be about the business of connecting, of hooking together what we hear from Jesus. Hooking it to our doing, our obedience. May we be found faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray this day, Lord, you would teach us. Each day, teach us. I pray we would be teachable to hear what your word has to say. To not turn from it to the right or to the left. Oh, Lord, I pray we would walk in that way. By the power of, our, of your Holy Spirit, pray, Father, that we would walk in your way. With joy, even when the elements are hitting hard. May others be able to see the light of Christ shining in us as we walk. May we be doers of your word and not simply hearers deceiving ourselves. Oh, Father, I pray. I pray that your church here at Hope in Christ. I pray that together we would be able to, to walk together in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we'd be able to come alongside the parts of the body, we'd be able to strengthen the parts of the body together, we'd be able to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Lord, we'd come alongside of them. We would be obedient to carry out what your word has called us to be doing as a church, as a family of believers. Thank you, Father, for this word. Oh, Lord, thank you for these wonderful words of life. They give us life. They give us hope. They breathe life into us. And I pray, Lord, we would be life givers to those we come in contact with. May it be our desire to walk as the wise man. And Father, where we see those who are straying, those who are walking in a way contrary to your word, contrary to the way you've set forth, may we be a vessel to speak forth your words to others. May we be about going and making disciples, teaching others to obey all things that you've commanded, Lord. Remind us daily of the gospel message. Remind us daily of the opportunities that we have to share Christ with other people. 
May we open our mouths and speak your truths. And may we, at the end, Lord, be found faithful. Help us to do all that we can, Lord, to be found faithful to you. Thank you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.